Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're gonna hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus as your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is a joy to be here with you today, and I want to start out by wishing all of the dads here one more time a happy Father's Day. Can we give it up for all of our dads and granddads? I hope you get to do something special today, dads. Maybe eat your favorite food or at least hear something positive from somebody in your life on this Father's Day weekend. So happy Father's Day. And if you're brand new with us here today at any one of our locations, if you're watching from Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, if you're watching online right now somewhere across the country or even across the world, welcome. And if you're watching here at Greenwood for the first time, welcome. Can we give it up for all of our first time guests? Thank you so much for accepting someone's invitation from work or from Facebook or wherever and for tuning in. If you're not brand new today, hey, welcome back. We are smack dab in the middle of a series called The Kid Factor and we've begun each week with this idea that the goal of life is maturity. The goal of life is maturity. This is this is common sense. Like if you're raising children, like as a dad, as a mom, the goal is to get your kids to mature, to grow up, to be responsible, to be considerate, right? To take ownership of their life. And when that's not happening, that's, that's reason to pause and, 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 and take some inventory and figure some things out, right? You want your kids to be maturing so that one day they will leave the nest and never come back, right? We don't want the adult children living in the basement, right? So the whole goal of life is maturity. On a sports team, you want your teammates to be maturing. The coach wants the players to be maturing, both physically and emotionally. In the classroom, teachers want their students to be maturing intellectually and emotionally. I mean, at the office, wherever you work, the goal is maturity. In the church, the whole reason we're gathered here today is to grow spiritually. The purpose of this very moment is for you to grow spiritually in your relationship with God. The goal of life is maturity because when people are mature, things work better, right? Teams work better, people at work work better together, marriages go better. Like when you're parenting and your kids are growing and maturing, there's more peace in the house. Things work better when people are mature. Then Jesus comes on the scene and he makes this interesting statement that seems to contradict that whole idea. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, truly I tell you, unless you change or do a 180 and become like, say it with me, little children, how interesting, not a 10-year-old, but like a three-year-old or a two-year-old, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, usually when we hear this phrase, kingdom of heaven, we think of that place you go after you die. And that is part of the kingdom of heaven. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about the kingdom that has come to earth. The kingdom of heaven is that place where Jesus is working, where Jesus is present. The kingdom of heaven is that area that Jesus has influence over. In the prayer that Jesus gave us, it goes like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom 
come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So the kingdom is God's activity on earth. It's God's presence on earth. That's the place where you and I were designed to live, but not just live, thrive and experience meaning and purpose and joy and peace every single day of our lives. Jesus is saying this, if you want to live there, if you want to thrive in this life and not just to survive, you have to become like a little child. What an interesting statement. What could Jesus possibly mean by this statement? Is he telling us to, be, to have childishness as a goal in our life? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's something about children that qualifies a person for kingdom living. There's a childlikeness that qualifies you and I to live in the presence of God. And that's what this series has been all about. We learned in week number one that children are dependent upon their parents. In the same way, we need to live dependent upon God as a branch in the vine. That was week one. And then last week, we learned that children have this quality about them that, that, that is just, it's beautiful. We, people call it childlike faith. Children believe easily. And that's why we tell our kids such crazy stuff, <laughs> right? Because we know they're going to believe us, right? But children believe easily in the same way way, you must trust Jesus easily. You must totally trust him with your life and have faith in him if you want to live in the kingdom. Those are the last two weeks. You can check them out on YouTube if you missed them. Today, I want to talk about this third character trait that, that qualifies us, this childlike character trait that qualifies us for kingdom living. If you're taking notes, here it is. Children live in the present. Have you noticed this? Little children, they live in the now. They live in the moment. Little children are concerned about what's going on right now in front of them. What are we going to eat? What's that smell? Right? Like, I, I want to, what's that color? Like, what, what's the, it's cold. It's, I'm hot. Like, children are, little children are living in the present moment. Something else that's, that's interesting about little children, if you probably noticed this, those of you who've got children, little children, or raised little children, if you've got grandkids, God has wired them up to have fun. Have you noticed this? Like, that's what they're concerned about. They want to have fun. So you put these two things together. They're in the moment, and they want to have fun. And so the question that is going through little children's mind when they wake up in the morning is this question right here. How am I going to have fun right now? That's the, that's the question. That's what they're concerned about. They're in the moment. I remember growing up, I had, I had two older brothers, and so we were all small. All three of us were in diapers at the same time, which was interesting for my parents. <laughs> but they did it, so, you know, it's on them. Um, but, but I remember one of the things, my dad would play all these games with us, and he would play baseball with us, you know, throw football. So we were just constantly playing games. But in the house, we had this one game we all loved to play. My dad would get on his knees, and, and he would, the couch would be behind him. It's sort of like a, a football game. And he'd like toss a, ball, a football to us and say, hey, you got to try to get into the end zone. It's like a goal line defense sort of thing. Anybody familiar with the football at all? Okay, so, so it was my, my, me and my two brothers, and we would take turns trying to jump over him to try to get into the end zone. It was a great game. And, you know, my dad was on his knees, and he would, you know, catch us and, you know, tackle us and not let us in. And sometimes he'd let us in. And it would just go on and we would just rotate one after another. And we never wanted it to end because it was like, this is so much fun. We're having so much fun. I want to do it again. You know that phrase little kids have, do it again, daddy, do it again. Where does that come from? God has wired them up 
to have fun, right? That's all they want to do. They don't want it to stop until my dad would finally say, hey, you know, I can't take anymore. My knees are worn out. Or my mom would come in and say, hey, the windows are fogged up. We got to stop this game or something like that. But we never wanted it to end. Did we not? My dad's here today. We didn't want, right? We never wanted it to end. We wore this guy out. Thank you, dad. Love, appreciate that. And, but, but that's little kids. Little kids, they're like, do it again. Do it again. They never want it to stop because what are they concerned about? This moment and having fun in this moment. Do you know there's a whole body of research out there that science, really smart people have put together that show and prove that adults who learn how to live in the moment are more happy, they're more creative, they have better relationships, they have less anxiety, they have less depression, they have more joy, they have more peace. Abraham Maslow is a psychologist that many of you who took psychology 101 in college or in high school or whatever, you'll remember his name because he came up with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that triangle. Remember this from psychology 101? You know, the bottom was like, you know, physical needs and safety, then emotional needs and belonging, then, you know, uh, esteem needs and then self-actualization at the top. Okay, I'm boring you. It wasn't psychology boring. Anyway. Maslow, was, he, he was like one of, the, one of the founders of really, you know, understanding psychology. This is what he said about living in the present. The ability to be in the present moment is a major component of mental wellness. How many people today are struggling with mental illness? Hmm. The ability to live in the moment like a child, like a little child, is a key component to mental wellness. Wellness. What does Jesus mean when he says you have to change and become like a little child if you want to live in the presence of God, in the kingdom of God? Here's what he means in your notes. If you want to live in the kingdom, you must learn to live in the present. You must learn to live in the moment. You must learn to live in the now like a little child. How is it that children are able to do this and adults stink at it? <laughs> you ever wonder that? Well, there's this really old dead guy, French philosopher, not Dallas Fullard, <laughs> I don't really know how to say his name. I'll try to, it's like Jean de la Brure. I shouldn't have said that like that, but that's my best attempt. Uh, he said this, children have neither a past nor a future. Thus they enjoy the present, which seldom happens to us grown-ups. See, children, they don't have a past that's haunting them, chasing them down, a past filled with mistakes and mess-ups and sins. They don't have that. And they don't have this future that they're so worried about. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen five years from now, two years from now, one? They don't have a future that's worrying them. And they don't have a past that's guilting them. And so they're able to live in the present moment. See, you and I, we've got a past. We've blown it. We've messed up. We've sinned. We've hurt people. We've done things to hurt relationships. We've stolen things. Said things. We've got a past. Things, things that we've done to other people and then things have been done to us that shouldn't have been done. Abuse of some sort, a betrayal of some sort. Maybe you had a spouse cheat on you. Maybe you had an abusive parent. I don't know. We've done things to people and things have been done to us and so all of us have a past. And not only do we have a past, in your notes, we have let that past affect us in a negative way. Children don't do that. I mean, little children, they, they mess up or they do, but they move, they move right on. Hey, I'm sorry. Let's say they're on to the next thing. You ever notice that? <laughs> they're not guilted and shamed by the past, but us adults, we allow our past to haunt us. 
We allow our past to speak into who we are, what our identity is. We allow our past to speak into our value and our worth. We allow our past to chase us, limit us in our lives. We allow our past to produce heaps of shame. You know what shame is? Shame is not often talked about. Shame is that emotion that you feel like you just want to hide. You just want to, if I get found out, I don't want to be known. I want to just crawl under a rock. I want to disappear into the crowd. Shame. We allow our past to produce shame. We also allow our past to produce guilt in our lives, and it plagues us. And all of the shame and the guilt and the haunting, it, it, it literally steals any happiness or joy out of our life. Some of you are living right, right, right there in that space right now, our past. You know, to be human is to have a past. You can't be human without one. You read this book, and I read it every day, and I encourage you to read it every day. I read it again this morning. What you find out is that the, the main characters, the, the characters in the Bible that we love, like Abraham and Isaac and David and Peter and, and John and, and, Dave and all these different people, guess what? They all had a past. Abraham was a liar. He lied about his wife. He told the, he told the king, this is my sister. It wasn't his sister. The king took his sister and made, almost made her his wife, only to save himself, Abraham, the father of our faith. You think about Peter. Peter was close to Jesus. He was one of the three guys closest to Jesus. And in, in the most pivotal moment, he denies Jesus three times. He says, I don't know who that guy is. Peter, come on, he's the rock of the church. Peter had a past. Abraham had a past. You go on down the line. Think about Noah, Noah who built the ark, got all the animals, saved the world from the flood. After it's all over, Noah gets drunk. Noah had a problem with alcohol. Can you relate? What about, what about Jonah? Jonah preached to the Ninevites. He preached to a whole city and they all repented. But secretly behind the scenes, Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jonah was a racist. Did you know that? You go on down the list. Thomas doubted. What about David? David slept with Bathsheba, who was not his wife. Then she got pregnant, and to cover it all up, he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, committed murder to cover up his adultery. This is David, a man after God's own heart. Listen, to be human is to have a past. You know how I know this Bible is written by God and not by man? Because if it were written by man, they wouldn't have written all their sins in there. Do you agree? They would have covered those bad boys up. I didn't sleep with anybody. I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> I didn't deny Jesus three times. You know, the reason all that's in there is because that's what happened. To be human is to have a past, but to let that past affect you and haunt you and define you and limit you, that's a choice. And we grown-ups are excellent at that. Jesus says, if you want to be in the kingdom, you've got to change. You've got to become like a little child. You've got to let that past go. What about the future? Future. The future, oh, it presses in on us. What do we do with the future? In your notes, I wrote it like this. We allow our future to worry us. Children don't do this. I mean, how many children do you know, you know, they're, they're four years old and, and they're getting ready for life and kindergarten's coming up and they're just, oh, I don't know. Oh, my girlfriend's gonna be in class with me. Who's my teacher gonna be? What am I gonna wear? I mean, how many little kids get stressed out and pressured have, and have anxiety over kindergarten? And if they do, whose fault is that? <laughs> it's not theirs, it's probably you, mom and dad, okay? You're stressing out over kindergarten. Little children don't do this. They don't, they don't worry about the future. They're in the present moment. But we do, we grown-ups worry about the future. We know it's coming. And so we feel pressure to get it right. Well, 
am I, am I going to get that degree? And am I going to graduate? Or am I going to make enough money? Is it, what kind of job am I going to get? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, what about my kids? If, we, are they, if I have kids, if we do, are, and we do have kids, are they going to turn out okay? Like, are they going to make it? Worry, 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 worry about the future, 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 future. Are we going to have enough to retire on? Oh my gosh. How am I going to die? Am I going to die from cancer? Am I going to die from an accident? The future presses in on us and produces worry. You know what that's really called at its severe level? Anxiety. There is a plague. Listen, before COVID-19 ever hit, we were having a plague of anxiety. Massive plague. That was much more powerful than COVID-19. Millions of people struggling to get through their day because of anxiety. What is anxiety? According to Webster's Dictionary, anxiety is apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness usually over, watch this, impending or anticipated ill. Something's coming up. That interview, that date, that, that graduation day, what, what, you know, we're going to buy the house, we're going to get married, we're going to retire, whatever. Something's coming in the future and it's producing nervousness and uneasiness in my heart today. And what it does is it steals away our joy. It steals away our peace. Children don't act like this. They don't, they don't let their past chase them down. They don't let their future pressure them into anxiety. They just live in the present. What, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we change and become like little children? That's the question I'm asking today. And the answer, the answer is pretty simple. In fact, if you're one of those people that looks ahead and fills in the notes to see if you can get it right before the preacher actually says the fill-in, <laughs> You've probably already filled these in because the answer is simple. But even though it's simple, it's not easy to apply. Let's see if you got it right, those of you who filled it in already. Here's the answer. You must let go of your past and trust God for the future. Deep insight, right? It's like, yeah, gosh, I learned that back in, you know, I don't know, third grade or fourth grade or whatever. But man, it's so hard to do this. If you want to become like a little child and be present in the moment, we have to learn how to let go of our past and trust God with our future. How do we let go of our past? Well, in your notes, again, this is a simple answer, but not easy to apply. We let go of our past through forgiveness and learning. We forgive. Jesus talked about forgiveness. He talked about it continuously. One time, Peter asked him, how many times should I forgive somebody who's offended me? What did Jesus say? Seven times 70 now, did he literally mean 490 times? Yes or no? No, he just meant as many times as is necessary. Jesus knew that we needed to forgive. We needed to be forgiven and we needed to forgive others. He believed this so much that he put it in the prayer. You know the prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's our prayer, right? If you grew up Catholic, you know it. I just quoted it a few moments ago. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then verse 12, there it is. Forgive us. Like Jesus knew every day we're probably going to blow it. We're probably going to sin, mess up. And so he puts it in the prayer because he wants us to ask for forgiveness daily. Like repentance is a daily practice. So that shame and guilt do not build up and haunt us. So that our past doesn't continually chase us down. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every single day we're supposed to be wiping the slate clean as we mess up. Forgive us of our sins, and then, watch this, as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. See, Jesus knew 
how bad the world would get. He knew about social media. He knew about TikTok, Snapchat. He knew about it. He knew. He's not sitting up there going in heaven like, can you believe what they created? <laughs> Holy Spirit, Father, we need to get some of that. What, you need to download that app. You know, he said, he's not, listen, Jesus is not shocked with social media. He's not shocked with the hatred. He's not shocked at the, the pure anger that is demonstrated and the pain and the hurt that is produced through social media. He's not shocked by it. He knew that people would be offending each other, hurting each other in massive ways through social media. And that's why he put it in the prayer. As we have forgiven those who've sinned. Like he knew people were gonna sin against you regularly. And he knew that if you don't forgive, a grudge is gonna build up. And resentment is gonna build up. And that resentment and bitterness is gonna become like an infection in your soul. See, here's what happens when you hold a grudge. It doesn't hurt the person who hurt you. It hurts you. It eats you alive. And when we forgive, we're actually saving ourselves from the cancerous effects of bitterness. And so he puts it in the prayer. God, forgive us, but help us to forgive others because the side effects will kill us emotionally and relationally. Forgiveness. How do you let go of your past? You forgive others. What does it mean to forgive? It means to let it go. It means to drop the charge. It means to cancel the debt. When somebody sins against you, it's like now they owe you. Some of you get confused about forgiveness. You think it's denying what happened. It's not denying what happened. It's not looking the other way. It's not sweeping it under the carpet. No, it happened. It was wrong. It was painful. It hurt. But I choose to drop the charges. I choose to treat you the way God has treated me. How has God treated me? He's canceled the debt on my behalf. He's wiped the slate clean. He hasn't denied that I sinned against him. He just forgave it. So I choose to forgive you. And some of you are like, okay, that's good. I need to do that. So that's easy, hard to apply. I got that part. But what about that part about forgiving yourself? See, I'm good with getting forgiveness from God and maybe forgiving others. But man, I can't forgive myself. Anybody know what that feels like? Based on things you've done in the past, maybe some things that have been done to you, I can't forgive myself. How do you work through that? Well, it's real simple, but hard to apply. You need to treat yourself the way God has treated you. You need to apply the same grace to yourself that God has applied to you. See, when God forgives you, he wipes your slate clean. You become as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sins from you, right? He not only forgives you, but he cleanses you. He takes the stain out, right? So if God looks at you and sees purity because of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, if that's the way he sees you, who are you to see yourself in any other way? In other words, how dare you not forgive yourself when God has forgiven you? Who do you think you are to hold a grudge against yourself when not even God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, doesn't hold a grudge? Wow. Man, when I learned that truth, it was like, man, I set free. I started to treat myself the same way God was treating me and the forgiveness came. Forgiveness, that's how you let go of your past. You, forgive, you get forgiveness from God, you forgive others, and you forgive yourself. Let's talk about the other part, the part where that, that includes not sinning. I mean, we're gonna, you know, let's talk about the mistakes that we make, the blunders. Anybody ever just make a, a dumb decision <laughs> financially? Anybody ever get in a relationship with somebody you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get in this relationship? Anybody? 
Nobody at all? How about at Banta? Anybody at Banta? Because everybody here at Greenwood's got it perfectly worked out. <laughs> Garfield Park, Franklin. I mean, we make some, I mean, I have made some dumb decisions. They weren't necessarily sins. They're just dumb. Ever been there? And, and, those, some, and those decisions, be they financial or relationship or whatever, they can haunt you. They can just chase you down. You're an idiot. You're a failure. I can't remember when you did this. Hey, hey here's, here's an insight that, that just blessed me so much. What if you viewed your mistakes and your past as, as a backpack? Many of you know I like to carry a backpack because it, it reminds me to be a perpetual student, you know? And I also kind of look hip and young. <laughs> At least that's what I tell myself. I kind of look like a college student. Anyway, so I wear this. What if you could view your past as a backpack? It's not something that's terrible. It's not something you got to get rid of. It's just part of your life. And the, inside the backpack, there are just these things called lessons that you've learned. Wouldn't that be interesting? And the lessons, let's see what we can find here in this backpack. We can open her up here. Here we go. Let's see what we can find. Lessons. Oh, here's a good one. What if you could just keep, you know, a reminder in here, that time where you gave too much time to golf or too much time to work and it hurt a relationship and that relationship came to an end because you mismanaged your time. Anybody ever make that mistake? Nobody. Bunch of liars in church today. <laughs> what if instead of that, 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 the way you mismanaged your time, what if that, instead of, you know, producing guilt and shame, what if it was just a lesson and you're like, I'll never do that again. And you, and you prioritize the proper things. What about that one time where you had friends telling you, don't get with her. This is an ear, by the way. <laughs> don't start that business. Don't make that investment. You shouldn't, that, don't hang out there. Don't go to that place. And, and you didn't listen and you went and you paid the price. What if that experience, instead of being something that produces shame or guilt, what if it was just a lesson, like next time I'm gonna listen to my friends, I'll never do that again. What if that was your past? Let's see what else we got here. What about that one time where you, you had a little run-in with the law? You know, I, you know who I'm talking to, because some of you got arrested. <laughs> I have cops who are friends. What if instead of guilt and shame when you got arrested and they put you in the car and they, someone had to bail you out instead of being, what if it was just like, man, that one time where I just, I'll never do that again. Wow. What if this bag was just filled with lessons? There's other stuff in here, but I don't know where it is. Oh, I found it. This one's good. What about that one time where you couldn't shut your mouth? <laughs> At the office with the boss, blah, 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 blah. You're fired. <laughs> with your wife, blah, blah, you're this, you're that. Divorce, what, right? What if instead of that time where you couldn't keep your mouth shut, instead of it being this thing that produces shame and guilt, it's just like, I'll never, see, that's the way I view my past. I've got a past. You've got a past. And my past, I carry it with me, not as a source of shame or guilt, not as a burden that's dragging me down, defining me, limiting me, but as a bunch of lessons that I've learned that I will never do again. Powerful. Forgiveness and learning. What about our future? How do we allow, how do we deal with our future in such a way that we can live in the kingdom and it doesn't steal us, 
Steal away joy and peace in our life. In your notes, I wrote it like this. You must trust God by putting your future in his hands. You have to put your future in God. This is a core tenet of Jesus' teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said these words, powerful words. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, don't, be, don't have anxiety about the future because the future will bring its own worries. He's kind of being funny here a little bit. Today's trouble is enough for today. In other words, why would you double burden yourself? Today has issues. Why are you going you're gonna to put your mind on the future issues? Why would you do that? You're stressing yourself out. Here's what he's teaching. Be in the moment. Live here, live now. Don't get caught up in the future. How do you do that? Well, he tells us in verse 33, the verse right before 34. Listen, seek the kingdom of God. That's what we've been talking about in this whole series. Above all else, seek to live where God is in the present moment, where God is moving, where God is acting, and live righteously. Do the next right thing. And then if you do that, if you seek the kingdom of God, watch this, he will give you everything that you, say it with me, need. That thing you're worried about in the future, that am I going to get married? Are the kids going to turn out okay? Are we going to have enough money for this? Are we going to be able to retire? All that stuff. He will give you everything that you, he didn't say want, <laughs> don't get mixed up, okay? He said everything that you need. We are to take our future and put it in the hands of God. King David, when he was running from Saul, penned these powerful words. Imagine, imagine if they were your words, your prayer. My future is in your hands. What if you prayed that every day? God, instead of worrying, instead of fretting, instead of having the pressure of the future produce anxiety, apprehensiveness, nervousness about the future, instead of all that, I'm gonna put my future in your hands. You're gonna take care of me. Wow, what would happen? Well, before I tell you what would happen, let me tell you what I'm not saying here. I'm not giving you a license to be passive and say, well, I don't know about the future, so I'm not gonna plan. I'm not gonna save for retirement. <laughs> I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna sit on the couch. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm gonna trust God with my future. I'm gonna do jack squat now. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you plan for the future, my wife and I do a ton of planning. We do a ton of planning here at the church. What I'm saying is when you plan for the future, when you think about the future, do it in a posture of trust. Saying to yourself, if the Lord wills that this should happen, this is what we will do. If the Lord will allow us to open a door for this to happen, this is what we will do. We're, I'm constantly planning for the future. But it's, it's all about your posture as you plan for the future. Are you planning because you're fretting and you're worried and you're stressed and you're afraid of getting it wrong and messing up and oh my gosh, and what's gonna happen? Or are you like, you know what, I think this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna try to hear, go there, save this, do this, make this choice. It's all about the posture of your heart. What happens when you do this? What happens when you let go of your past through forgiveness and learning and you put your future in your hands? Guess what happens? You start to live in the present. You start to act like a little child, like the world becomes sort of a playground again. Remember, little kids are like, what are we doing today and how can we have fun today? They're in the present. Their past is not chasing them down and their future is not putting this pressure on them producing anxiety. What happens when that happens? In your notes, I wrote it like this. When you live in the present, you experience peace and joy. Peace and joy. What is peace? Peace is rest of soul rooted in the sovereignty of God. He's in control. Whew, I can have peace. What is joy? Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being rooted in the goodness of God. Peace 
and joy. Peace and joy become the dominant emotional tones of your life instead of fear, worry, and anger. Why? Because your past isn't chasing you down and your future is not putting pressure on you. Worry and stress. You're in the moment. So you're able to be creative, present with your family, engaged. You're able to have fun, talk with people, look people in the eye. Present to the moment. Peace and joy. And then you can say with the psalmist in Psalm 118, verse 24, and you can mean it. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. What a powerful verse. Wow. God, thank you for this moment. You're here. You're working. You're, I'm enjoying you, feeling you, sensing you. Peace and joy. You know, when I read the Bible every morning, and sometimes through the day, what I'm really doing is trying to be present in the moment. Psalm 46.10 puts it like this. Be still. Put the phone down. Get off Twitter. Get off Facebook. Stop looking at email. Get off Snapchat. Be still. And know that I am God. What does this mean? This means be present to my presence. Don't think about the past. Get your mind off tomorrow. Be with me right now. This is the essence of what it looks like to be with God. And what happens is his peace and his joy fill your heart and they become the dominant emotional tones of your life. Imagine it. That's life in the kingdom. That's what Jesus invites us into. Doesn't that sound like something you want? Do you feel an urge inside of you like, man, I want to be in that. I want to live in that. I want to thrive in that. You can. Let's do the hard work. Two questions as we wrap up. Hard work. Two questions for you. What is it you need to let go of? Who do you need to forgive? Who's offended you? Who have you offended? Who's hurt you? What do you need to learn from? Instead of it producing guilt and shame, what lesson are you never going to do again? And then what do you need to put in the hands of God concerning your future? Is it a degree? Is it a relationship? A job situation? What, do you, what, what is putting pressure on you producing anxiety in the future? Will you put that in his hands so that you can experience peace and joy? This is hard work. See, this right here, what we're doing right now, this is not, like a, this is not a sermon. This is not me here because it's Sunday and I got to say something. That's not what this is. This moment is designed for you to grow spiritually. And if you take these questions seriously and you wrestle them to the ground, you'll find yourself becoming like a little child who lives in the present moment, who's experiencing peace and joy. Not because your circumstances changed, but because you're in the kingdom of God. I want you to hear a story right now of some of my friends, Dee and Megan Bonnie. Their story is amazing. They don't even scratch the surface of telling the story, but Dee made tons of mistakes. Oh my gosh. Megan, same thing. Tons of mistakes. They met each other, and it was a beautiful mess. God put them back together, transforming their lives. They got baptized this weekend. I want you to hear their story. It's a picture of everything I've been trying to say today. Here is Dee and Megan Bonnie. I'm Megan. I'm Dee. 
We're the Bonnies. So we have one child together. His name is Miles. He's four and a half. And then I have four boys from previous marriages, Gabe, Gavin, who's getting baptized with us today, Grayson and Griffin. I was nine when I first got baptized. I got baptized for the right reasons. I feel like I knew the difference between right and wrong and I knew that I knew that Jesus died for me, but it was really not about relationship. It was more about religion. And so I have a similar story. I was baptized after um, being invited to a youth like VBS as a teenager, but then didn't really go to church anymore, didn't have any follow through. Um, and had some events happen and got very angry with God and was kind of like the prodigal daughter, but then didn't end up following through and going back home. I just kind of got very resentful and very broken. I spent the next 37 years of my life after I accepted Christ, uh, initially going to church all through high school and a little bit in college, but then all of my 20s and 30s, it just really, it wasn't a thing. I saw Christianity as there's a long list of things that you don't do, so you don't have any fun, but then you go to heaven when you die. I had a long life and marriages before Megan, two marriages actually. I felt like things were just normal, and but then first marriage ended and the second marriage ended because I stepped outside of that marriage, unfortunately. Uh, and then we got together and we, I don't know, we thought things were fine. Yeah, I, um, but I was very much agnostic um, and didn't know how to tell you that as we were, you were wanting us to go to church and I was still very angry with God and I didn't want to go to church and I had already destroyed one marriage and we were um, on the way for destruction of this marriage. And I didn't even know that really when we first came to Emmanuel. Right. Yeah, it seemed like... You know, we were going to church every week. We had joined a small group at our old church. Mm -hmm. We had even started tithing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I didn't find out about the betrayal until the day after we first came to Emmanuel. Right. Life has changed for us dramatically. Mm -hmm. Like when we started coming to Emmanuel and we were just healing and there was just has been such rapid spiritual growth like the trajectory of our lives and our relationship with Christ was palpable really right we actually went back and watched all of the old lessons um, I think even one of them was called all in and that's definitely what we've been ever since four years ago is we cashed all the chips in and we've been all in to rebuild everything in our life on the firm foundation of Christ. Yeah. So I'd say the aha moment that I had in my spiritual walk was four years ago, truly having that fall on my knees moment where I surrendered to God and realized that I am a terrible God in my life and that I needed to have that God above me to live my life under and that I surrendered fully, meaning that I felt that cleansing of my sins completely, not my consequences because we, we reap what we sow, but I truly felt my sins wash away and I have been able to 
walk out life that way every day since and live in that abundant life. I heard a friend say one time, I said something about Jesus being my Lord and Savior. And he goes, isn't that the thing? I'm like, what? He's like, everybody wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. And I don't think it works. I think you have to have both. I think it, you have to have him be your Lord and your Savior. When we come across other couples that are struggling in their marriage, we really want them to see this amazing transformation that God has done in our life. And if he can fix our relationship, he can fix anyone. So I think that if, if you're struggling in your relationship, it all comes down to surrender and kind of getting out of God's way and, and letting him do the work that he wants to do in your life and your spouse's life. God wants to repair what's broken in you. But one of the hardest things is like actually believing that and then getting out of his way, like putting our own self, our own flesh aside and letting him work. And it, it's like, he wants us to do the action of trusting him before it actually makes sense. So if you're on the outside looking in, the stuff that we're saying, like, it just doesn't even make sense. It seems like, you know, it just seems like foolishness. But then when you actually do it, you do just go to him and you say, how do I do life? Like, I don't know how to be a husband or a, or a son or a parent and just like, God, show me. And he is more than happy to transform whatever is broken inside of you. I want to be baptized today because my spiritual walk now is completely different than anything in my first 46 years of life. Baptism is just a way of publicly saying, here I am, God, just use me. And I want to be baptized today because the person that I was prior to four years ago no longer is here. And I want to do this together yeah. with my husband and with my stepson. And I just think that is an just an incredible time for us to share together. Yeah. We just witnessed a picture of the forgiveness of sin. You see, baptism symbolizes repentance or turning away from our old way of life. In Acts 13, uh, the apostle Peter who followed Jesus, he makes the statement, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. You see, when people go under the water, they're dying to their old way of living. And then when they come up, it shows that they know that their sins have been forgiven and they are committed to living a life of following Jesus. Now, we saw a video a little bit earlier where Dee and Megan Bonnie shared their testimony and Megan made an incredible statement. She said, I made a terrible God for my own life. And maybe that's where you're at today. If you're ready to stop living in your own kingdom and you're ready to begin living in God's kingdom, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. And I just wanna encourage you to bow your head, close your eyes and make these words your own. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I know that I am in need of a savior. I just wanna ask you to come into my heart and help me begin to live a life that is devoted to your kingdom. I no longer wanna live in my own kingdom. I no longer wanna live with the sin or the guilt or the shame. Lord, I'm asking to follow you. And I know that won't be easy, but Lord, I'm asking for your help. Lord, guide me and direct me going forward. And Lord, help me to live a life that is devoted to you. 
and a life that is lived in your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, if you said that prayer today, I just wanna take a moment to celebrate with you. That is a big, big decision and not one that we take lightly here at Emmanuel. So much so that we do have a little gift for you, okay? It's one of our saved boxes. We would love to mail one of these out to you this week. All you have to do is text the word SAVED to 65248. And in this box, it's got a gift for you. We've got a New Believer's Bible. We've got an Emmanuel uh, coffee thermos, which is super awesome. You'll love it. Uh, But also there's a few steps that will help you just begin connecting with Jesus on a consistent basis, okay? Um, Most of all, we are here for you. Following Jesus is not easy, especially right at the beginning. And if you've got questions, concerns, you feel like you need support, We're here for you. I'm going to shoot you an email. Please do not hesitate to reply to that and let me know if there's anything that I can do for you, okay? And again, that's awesome. We celebrate with you. Congratulations. Can't wait to jump into what the future looks like together. Now, for all of you guys out there, all of you dads and all of you moms, if you've got kids, Let's get them in front of the television. We are going to transition over to our online children's ministry with Ollie the Owl. We've got a few great songs that they can dance to and some children's ministry curriculum that will speak directly to them, okay? So guys, enjoy your Father's Day. It's been a blessing and we will see you next week.